do we equip our families with a biblical worldview? How do we prepare the next generation for life? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord and in my marriage? If you wrestle with these questions, you are in the right place to find answers. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rutherford, and today's guest is Chuck Black. Chuck is the author of 18 books, including the Kingdom series, the Night series, Star Lore Legacy. He is a conference speaker. He's a former F-16 fighter pilot, an engineer, uh, just a godly man and husband. Uh, Two quick items before we get to our interview, though. First, go to our website at www.entrustingthefaith.com. Scroll down to the bottom and sign up for our weekly emails so you'll know who is coming up on the podcast for the week and who you may have missed the previous week. You'll also get a free resource when you do. At the same time, you can find all of our podcasts on our website while you're there. Scroll through them, find other interviews to help you along the way. Second, this episode is brought to you by my book, Leading Well at Home, How Husbands and Fathers Can Biblically Lead Their Families. Have you ever thought, I want to be a godly husband or father, but I don't know where to start? Have you heard that you need to do something to equip your family, but did not know how to begin? If so, Leading Well at Home will show you how you can love Jesus Christ, love and serve your wife and children, and take responsibility for discipling your family. You'll be encouraged and given action steps that you can apply so that you're moving forward. You can buy it online through our website at entrustingthefaith.com or leadingwellathome.com or anywhere books are sold online. You can also get a free excerpt on our website. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. So welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rutherford, and today uh, I'm excited I have Chuck Black with me. So glad that you accepted the invite today. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, for those who are not familiar with your books and your story, what, what got you into writing? Because it sounds like with an engineer and a fighter pilot, that wasn't necessarily the, the groundwork for author. It, it, I may be making a, a weird jump, but it just doesn't sound like, like the natural progression. No, you're, you're spot on. Now, that was never in my, uh, never in my wheelhouse and never in my uh, vision for, for what I wanted to do in my life. Uh, quite honestly, uh, writing was just so far uh, off the table for me. I never even thought about it until my wife and I started having children and we started raising them and wanting them to uh, understand their faith, to, uh, grasp hold of the gospel of Christ. And so honestly, that was the thing that motivated me to pick up the pen. I, I was just looking for a fresh new way um, to make the Bible come alive to them. So I, I just naturally tended toward um, writing allegory which which allowed a lot of freedom in our in my writing um, to depict the symbolism um, of scripture and the stories of Christ in a, in a new way that got them excited about their faith again so that it was really my kids that got me to to kind of pursue that I, I wrote my first story just for them and my wife read it and she just encouraged me to share it with other families and then man after that things just just kind of happened and we self-published for a while. And then uh, got picked up by a publisher later on, and things kind of exploded from there. So, 
Wow, that is that is wonderful. And kind of building off your question, you talked about allegory uh, and and how you have used that. What do you think makes allegory, you know, so powerful or such an effective tool? Yeah, what a great question, Eric. Yeah, I like to say I chose allegory, but in truth, I think allegory chose me, and I'm not sure why. Uh, when I wrote this first story, I was a little bit nervous about it because I was basically retelling, you know, the gospel of Christ in a, and I and I felt like I was maybe messing with hallowed ground there. So I I was a little nervous about pressing on with that, but then I went I actually went back to scripture to to, uh, to try to determine if it was an appropriate thing to do, and I came across the story of King David. And after he had committed his great sin and he tried to cover it up, it says that um, God sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And he went into the, the throne room and he told David this, this little story, you know, about a, a rich man who had all kinds of lambs and, and sheep and wealth and a big house. And then about another guy who just had one little one little lamb that he basically considered his own, like his own child. And he nurtured it. Well, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and slaughtered it for a, a feast for a, a visiting guest. And when David heard the story, this, this mighty great king heard this story, he looked at Nathan and said, as, as God lives, that man will surely die, basically condemning himself. And um, Nathan looks at David and he says, you are the man. And it was just such a powerful revelation. And, and I, as I studied that, I realized that allegory is, is expressly powerful in occupying the heart of a person quietly and smoothly and gently with truth without him even knowing it. And then when that allegory is explained, it's like the the curtains of a dark room are thrown open and it just illumines truth in a way that's just already inside the heart of the individual that's that's partaken of that story. So um, I think there's an extra measure of power in allegory. I think that's why Jesus told so many parables, which are basically miniature allegories, is because it just has a way of, of, of shedding light on truth uh, that, that no other story can. So um, it wasn't any real wise discerning move on my part. It's just something I stumbled into. I was, I should say that the Lord led me to, but yeah, I, I think there's, I think allegory is um, incredibly powerful in, in, in having a, an ability to impact lives. I would agree. I think it is, uh, it's just a, a really neat tool. And like you say, uh, you see the parables, you see that, that interaction, uh, between Nathan and David, it, that story carries, right? And and we can just follow along, and we get sucked into it in a very, in a very neat way. Yeah, very very true. Now you have just released the third book in the Star Lore Legacy series. The the book title of this the newest one is Lore. So for those who are not familiar with the just the leg the Star Lore Legacy series. Would you share a little bit about it and maybe how you came up with the idea for the series without giving away any spoilers, of course? Yeah, absolutely. Um, perhaps the best way to answer this question is, is give uh, just a little explanation of my previous books, because then you'll kind of see how I, you know, the transition into this series. Um, the very first series is a six book series called the Kingdom Series, and it is an allegory of the Bible set in a medieval time period. Basically. Um, chronicles the life of two generations of characters, but really the parable goes, or the, the allegory goes from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. So um, that was my attempt to give a chronological perspective on the Bible 
in a fresh way to, to young readers and old readers alike, actually. Um, the next series was a companion series that's designed to help people identify and overcome potential strongholds in their lives, like um, Sir Kendrick and the Castle of Belleon is overcoming a stronghold of rebellion. And then um, Sir Bentley's overcoming greed. Sir Dalton is overcoming doubt. Lady Carlos is escapism. Uh, Sir Quinlan is apathy and Sir Rowan is pride. And so those, those six books uh, kind of jointly fit into the Kingdom series to, to integrate all 12 books in that saga, that medieval saga. Now, the third series I wrote was called The Wars of the Realm, and it's modern day spiritual warfare. Basically, a Christian version of like a Jason Bourne. It's a CIA, FBI military thriller. But I also take you into the heavenly realm and show you the, the angelic battles that are going on over heroes, too. So, a little bit more intense series. And that was not allegory. And I discovered that, you know, a lot of the theme in just about all of my writing here, Eric, is um, spiritual warfare. And um, I discovered that allegory has a way of softening some very challenging and perhaps a little bit more um, intense depictions of spiritual warfare. So um, although the Wars of the Realm does a fantastic job at that, it, it's definitely a little more intense because it's. There's no allegory. It's angels and demons doing battle over the fate of mankind. And so I wanted to kind of return back to allegory. But um, one of the things about my my background is I, I loved uh, science fiction. <laughs> um, that That's part, part of why I became a fighter pilot. I eventually had hopes of becoming an astronaut and that sort of thing. God took me on a different route. <laughs> but uh, so I, I, I returned to allegory, but I, I turned to a completely different genre, that of science fiction. And that's what the Star Lord Legacy is. It's essentially like the Kingdom series, but for space. It's a it's a it's a space odyssey. And so the first book I wrote was Nova, and it chronicles um, allegorically the life of Moses. Then came Flight, which basically takes you through the Exodus. Um, and so this third book, Lore, continues that march into the Bible through the story of Joshua and his his the Battle of Jericho. So. My intent for the Star-Lord legacy is a little bit like the Kingdom series. I want to take, take my readers all the way through the entire scripture from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. So it's a, it's a longer saga. This is book three, and I have plans, Lord willing, for a total of 12 in this, in this series. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, because that, that was a question I, I had was, I didn't know how many and, you know, if that was, you know, public knowledge. And so uh, that's, that's wonderful to be able to take sort of 12 books. Uh, lore sounds like dealing with, with that character, your characterization in space of that Joshua Jericho. So I know with, so my son and I, we have read the Knights series and the Kingdom series. We've We've read the Kingdom series several times through in the Knights series, at least a couple of times. We just finished reading Sir Rowan again. We love those. The idea of rolling into space. Now, is it is it age-specific uh, in terms of the, the Star-Lord legacy? Uh, it, who, who's kind of the audience for that? Yeah, for sure. It is. Uh, so, you know, the Kingdom series can be as young as maybe seven or eight years old. But, of course, I've had adults like yourself that have fully enjoyed them as well. The Star-Lord Legacy is about the same level of intensity, uh, but it is a little bit more technically oriented because I, I try to keep, my, my background is electrical engineering. I love science and physics. And so I, I try to keep 
the technology as realistic as possible. Obviously, there's some there's some uh, speculation in there, but so because of that, it, it it tends to be a little bit more technical, more authentically technical. So I would say you could probably have a ten year old pick this up and read it and really enjoy it. He's not going to grab all that the science that's in there, but at 10, 11 years old, all the way up into adulthood for this series, I think is very appropriate. That makes sense. And do you find, what what is it about, about space, about that science fiction that makes it a good, sort of that good genre to be able to tell stories? Because it is, I, I think it is. And I'd love to hear sort of what, what your thoughts are on what makes it such a good story to tell. Of course, we have been fascinated with space and space travel for a century, maybe even longer. There's just something that's so awe-inspiring about the stars and, and just the magnitude of it and j- different planets and solar systems. And it, 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 just, it just tickles the imagination. And so you, you kind of like the medieval times, you know, we, we just kind of have this, this uh, romantic imagination associated with that as we did the medieval times. Although I think in reality, both of them aren't really that pleasant. <laughs> um, but in story, you know, you can uh, you can forego that and let it continue to be a romantic experience. Um, the thing about science fiction and Christian writing is it's really difficult to pull off. You know, how does it fit into scripture? How does it fit into the timeline of Revelation? Very, very challenging. There's just, it's, I, I would, personally, I think it's, pretty tough to pull off a really good quality Christian book that's truly science fiction as well. And so when I wrestled with that, I came across this, the whole allegory again, and and I realized allegory completely unleashes the, the restrictions of the Christian faith and biblical account that you're trying to tell. And so I just, I just love that allegory allows, allows me to be completely science fiction and also completely scriptural all at the same time without any hindrances. So does that make sense? It does. It sort of opens that door. It gives you that flexibility to be able to tell a story, but just in a different, in a different format. I like that. And you touched on, you touched on sort of that medieval period as well with your, with the kingdom in the night series. Yeah, what is it? Because within those, I know you, there was a lot of character development, a lot of character qualities to go in there. Did was that sort of with the chivalry and the knights? Was that sort of the intent behind it? You're like, this would be a great way to capture that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up really reading two different genres when I was young. It was, it was medieval and science fiction, ironically. Um, so that's where I kind of gravitated toward. And, and I think there's just uh, there's something about that chivalry, something about that noble character, the pursuit of being that godly knight of, you know, that, that just is, stands against the evil and the enemy. And we just, we just love that image. And, and as I considered a medieval allegory, I realized that the symbolism in scripture was absolutely perfect, hand in hand fit with that genre. I remember my agent when I was explaining to him my series and and how he was getting we were getting ready to pitch at the publisher. He said, Chuck, this is this has just never been done before, a story like this. And I said, Well, that's just that's 
remarkable to me because it's been 2000 years <laughs> and they use the same symbolism, knights and shields and kings. And it just seemed, it almost seemed like it, it wrote itself, honestly. Um, but it, it just worked so well. And, and I'm just, I'm so grateful that the Lord has allowed me to be part of that and to share it with so many families now. It's just, it's really quite exciting and, and thrilling to see happen. And then in terms of just, we'll call it biblical Christian fiction. So what what, do you, what are the benefits for us? So as families, as parents, you know, as we're evaluating what types of things to read, to teach, mm-hmm. what do you see as the, the strength or the benefits of, of biblical or Christian fiction? Well, man, that's a great question. Especially in today's world, entertainment has the potential of getting really dark. It has the potential of getting very perverted and quite frankly, very anti-God. And so as our young people grow up and become youth, there's, there is such a draw by the world and the, and the, the things in culture that pull them that have become so popular and yet so dark that we as, as parents have to be so careful about what we're feeding them. There's just this plethora and, and an avalanche of the darkness in, in entertainment that you have to fight against. And so I just, I'm so grateful that um, the Lord has allowed me to, to, to be part of an alternative for that, for families. And I don't know how many times we, ju- we just finished a, a three month conference tour throughout the United States. And I, I just can't tell you how many times parents have come and just said, Chuck, you know, when we hand our kids your book, we just, we're, we have such peace. We know that not only is it clean and wholesome, but it's going to reinforce and teach biblical values and biblical principles in a fresh way that's not boring to them, that's not preachy, and yet is so powerful in their lives. And so it is so important that we actually diligent about feeding our youth appropriate character building, um, biblically principled literature. And so uh, there's not enough of it out there. I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that there are more and more Christian authors that are producing some good quality literature for our kids but then even then you got to be careful because there's such a tendency even something labeled christian doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be completely biblical and i agree i think there is there's so much out there that's not that's not healthy that's dark and so uh definitely being able to to have that the the material with a biblical worldview is is really important. And you mentioned earlier that that a lot of what you have written about uh, talks about, or at least in the background or the foreground, you know, I mean, it's it has a lot of that spiritual warfare theme to it in various capacities. Do you think at least, we'll call it our culture, at least in these United States, do you think we are just unaware of the spiritual warfare that exists um, I know in other cultures, they're, they're more aware of it, but I know at least in ours, it's like anything of that nature sort of just like, eh, you know, it, so I was just curious in terms of really kind of making it part of the books, was that to help people see that we are in a battle? Yeah, absolutely, Eric. Um, and a lot of this, I think, comes from my my background as being a, mil- a military guy uh, who was a, a soldier for our country, um, a pilot, a combat pilot that um, I saw such a parallel between defending our nation against you know, enemies, foreign and domestic, and being 
a defender of our of our faith, especially in our home and our family against enemies. And um, these are the enemies we can't see. And the ones that you can't see are the worst. They're they're like the terrorists. You know, they just show up when you don't expect them. Um, they've studied you and you don't know it. And so there's a, a real lack of awareness, just like you said, of spiritual warfare, I believe, especially in America. And I think that most of that comes from the fact that we are we are prosperous, we are um, safe, and we are comfortable. And it, those things can really cause a person to become apathetic, um, at least ignorant, at the very least, of, of battles that are waging around us. And being an un unseen battle of spiritual warfare, we can be taken out before we even know it. And, and you really don't have to look too far into the statistics, statistics to understand that, that spiritual warfare is very real. Um, our families are under attack. Fatherhood is under attack. Marriage is under attack. Children are under attack. The family, the nuclear family unit, as biblically defined, is, is disintegrating around us. This is absolutely 100% a spiritual warfare battle that's happening. And in, until we open our eyes and understand the reality of that, we are going to continue to lose that fight. I remember when I was learning sort of dogfighting, he said, we have a saying, you'll ever lose sight of the, of the enemy. You're going to lose the fight. Lose sight, lose fight. And I, I, I obviously took that to heart as a fighter pilot. But when I started entering into the spiritual fight for my family, I realized how critical that was. And if we ever lose sight of who the enemy is, what his tactics are, what his goals are, we will, we will lose the fight for our marriage. We'll lose the fight for our family. We'll lose the fight for our children. And my writing all of these books is my intent to put spiritual glasses on the eyes of our young people so they can see the reality of it in spite of the comfort level that they're at in spite of their security and and, and freedoms and, and safety unless you have jesus christ and you've got the armor of god on you, you you're going to be an easy target for the enemy to take out so that that's the intensity of my writing i think that comes through um and, and it's definitely the, the passion i have for equipping families to to be ready for that kind of battle and i think it I think it's really good uh, because we are in that fight. You know, the scripture is very clear. You know, we are not, you know, wrestling against flesh and blood, you know, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers. You know, that that is a real thing. It's good to be aware of it. Like you say, I love that, that lose, lose sight, lose fight. And then if we if we aren't aware that we are in a fight every day, then horrible things can happen. Just kind of one more question is for you know parents, grandparents, anybody listening, is there something you would encourage them to do to help foster that biblical worldview? Because it is that worldview is so important uh, in terms of uh, just how we live and, and the value that we see of scripture and everything else. Is there one thing you would encourage them to do? Oh my goodness, that's a... That's a big question, Eric, um, but it is an important one. I think that I think the answer to that is really multifaceted. I, I, I think that when you look at the tactics of the enemy, it, it will help define where you need to focus as a father or a mother or a teen. And, and for me, I've kind of come to the conclusion that up, up until just recently, at least, the full arm of his attack is in the promotion of evolution and um, and the use of science to discredit the Bible. 
So apologetics for me was really critical for my kids, especially as they entered into the sciences and the technology driven um, careers that they wanted to go into. So I, I really focused a lot on apologetics and using, using science, using logic and reason um, and scripture, of course, at the top of that list um, to support their faith and to prepare them for the lies of the enemy in regard to evolution. And so for me, that's critical. Now, just recently, we've seen, of course, a shift toward perversion of God's definition of marriage and of sexuality. And so that's going to have to become, I think, a, a focus for a lot of parents today to help their kids through a lot of confusion and deception that the enemy is going to throw at them. We will continue, and, and we're starting to hear more and more stories, unfortunately, of young people raised in Christian evangelical homes that are getting sidetracked into the lies of you know, homosexuality and gender dysphoria and all of this stuff. And it's just an avalanche of, of, of lies and deception that the enemy is throwing at us. Again, it's, it's losing sight of the enemy. You're going to lose that fight. So I think it's going to be key for us as parents to focus on what is being targeted, what's being hit. He kind of has already won the evolution battle. So that doesn't mean we give up on that, but we have to prepare our kids for it. Now there's kind of a whole nother front that's coming at us in, in the way of, of uh, sexual orientation and, and gender identification that is just completely throwing our young Christian uh, people for uh, a state of confusion and, and, and a searching for answers. So we need to reinforce the biblical teaching in all of those areas on, on, on creationism and on sexuality and on gender identification and that sort of thing in a way that it's going to give them solid answers for the, for the enemies, lies and deception that are happening. Um, there's a lot more that could be said, of course, on that, on that subject, but I think that all of it comes back to uh, the beginning of understanding the reality of spiritual warfare. And so, um, and that's where my books really, um, that's, that's kind of the hinge pin of all of my books is first opening their eyes to reality of spiritual warfare and then starting to prepare them for how they can fight back. I like that. And that's being aware of what's being targeted and the enemy keeps changing his, keeps changing his approach, but, but the same ultimate goal, right. To, to destroy us, to destroy our families, to discredit the gospel. And so, um, so I like that just being able to, to, to equip our families with, with real answers to the real questions and, and just being humble enough to acknowledge that we don't know it all, but God's word is true. Amen. Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, just kind of wrapping up here for those who want to know more about you, um, want to know more about your books, where would you like them to go? Uh, well, thanks for that. I, you know, I think probably the best place is uh, my website, um, chuckblack.com. And there you will see, you'll, you could, you can see some interviews again, um, some questions I've answered if they've got, you know, if they're wondering about who this guy is, <laughs> um, but also all of the books are there with some explanations and some excerpts and some samples. And uh, we would just love to be part of your family's ministry to their kids and, and encouraging them to, to seek out the truth of God's word in a fresh way. Excellent. Well, for everybody listening, we will have that information in the show notes. So uh, you can just scroll down, check out the links read about Chuck, buy his books. They're excellent and um, very encouraging and just spiritually meaty. 
I, I think it's just it's good stuff. So Chuck, thank you so much for joining me today. This was uh, this was a gift. This really was. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate the chance to speak to you and to to the families and people out there that listen to your podcast. I'm very grateful and just want to give God all the, the, the praise, the honor, and the glory for any work that he's doing here. Wow. Great conversation with Chuck Black. Uh, three things that jumped out. First, there is a huge parallel uh, between like defending in the armed services and defending our homes in spiritual battles. And that there is a lack of awareness of spiritual warfare, especially in the United States, likely from being prosperous, being comfortable. And those things can just open up people to becoming apathetic or at least ignorant of this spiritual warfare. Second, that idea, you know, from his combat days of lose sight, lose fight. So we need to keep an eye on our enemy. No more saints trying to attack us and be aware. Otherwise, we are going to lose that fight. Third, apologetics are important. Identify the lies of the enemy, focus on what is being targeted, what is being hit, and then learn how we can answer those lies with God's truth. So, great conversation with Chuck. All his uh, website, all contact infos in the show notes. Check it out. They're wonderful books. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so will help others to find us. Uh, Check out the show notes for resource information. We encourage you to do that for links and other references. We'd like to hear from you so you can message us your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, and Entrusting the Faith. You can email us at info at entrustingthefaith.com. If you go to our website, which is www.entrustingthefaith.com, you can sign up to our email list and receive free resources as well as upcoming podcast episode information. So check it out. Lastly, just remember, legacies are built a day at a time. So start now.